for bringing us in worship this morning before the Lord. And I thank them for singing and Kendall as well. Yes, youth band plus Kendall. Yeah, just one of the men. That's good. Poor Kendall. All right. But Noah found favor. Would you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6? Genesis chapter 6. This is going to be a story about the flood. Some of you may know a little bit about the flood. Um, experience the, and when we say a flood, people say, well, really? Is there ever such a flood? Science could not allow that to happen. It couldn't, couldn't, couldn't happen, couldn't happen. And perhaps you have good questions itself to raise about it yourself, which are perfectly fine. God welcomes good questions. Did you know that? He doesn't shy away from people asking questions. He says, come, let us reason together. It's open like that. So if you have questions, that's good. There is a place to go. And it's the Geoscience Research Institute, G-R-I-S-D-A dot org. If you go there, there are lots of wonderful articles about creation, about the flood, about the earth, the age, all kinds of things in there. There are where people are, scientists are not afraid to answer the questions that people ask. Today, however, we will not be answering those questions because I am not a scientist. I'm not going to go there. We're going to deal with the scripture and not with the science art. But if you're interested in that, that's an excellent place to go to read with fair-minded answers about it and the issue. So you're welcome to do that. Okay, back to Genesis chapter 6, if you found it. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to begin with the fifth verse. Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Isn't that sad? Incredibly, incredibly sad. And we might ask the question, well, why? Why would God make a statement like that? Why would he make such a statement like that? We live in an evil world, but he's not threatening with us to flood us out. He's dealt with people for many thousands of years. Why then? What had happened that turned God's heart to say he regretted that he even made them? Why would that be the place? Why would that be significant to him? Why would that change? In a word, the word would be idolatry. The word would be idolatry of what had taken place and what people were bowing down and worshiping when they were living just generations away from Adam and Eve. This had not happened that long after. You can trace the lineage there in the scriptures and know. All right, back to Genesis 6. But Noah. <laughs> All of a sudden we have the Lord saying, I'm going to destroy everything off the face of the earth. And then all of a sudden here in verse 8, but Noah. As we look at all the history of everybody doing all their own thing, all the idolatry, everything going on, all of a sudden Moses mentions this, that God looks down on the earth and he says, but Noah. 
One person, one person was facing a different direction. One person wasn't going with the flow of humanity. One person was looking at something different. One person, and so the scriptures say, and but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Or we might say in the King James, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now why? Well, Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. So let's put this a little bit together. So he was considered a righteous man. He was considered blameless among the people of his time. Stood different. He was something different than the crowd. Something different than what was going on in the world around him. And he stood faithful. My conclusion of that is that he was not involved with idol worship. That he had stood faithful. And was not involved with it. And therefore the Lord looked at him. And so God went on and said. Now the earth was corrupt. And sight, God's sight was full of violence. And God saw that it was corrupt. The earth and had become. And all the peoples on the earth. Were corrupted in their ways. So God said to Noah. I'm going to put an end. To all the people of the earth. It is filled with violence. Because of them. I'm surely going to destroy them. And the earth. But. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark. You. And your sons. And your wife. And your son's wives with you. And Moses' natural reaction. Which. Which is not in the scriptures. But I put it in there at no extra charge. Put it in there. That Noah's reaction would be, what's an ark? What in the world are you talking about? What are we supposed to go in? What is an ark? Well, the Lord went on to describe about what he was to do and how to build it and all this. You can read that in the chapters there. But in verse 19, he goes on and says, You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, and keep them alive with you. Good luck in doing that. How was Noah going to be able to go out and get two of all the animals and herd them into the ark? This is not a problem for God. It is a problem for us. Because we could not do that, could we? So Noah had some serious questions, I'm sure, and then we don't know about the dialogue that went back and forth. Verse 20, two of every kind of the animal and every kind of creature that moves on the ground that will come to you, will come to you to be kept alive. Will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And here it is. Noah did everything just as God commanded. He did everything just as God commanded. That gets me to thinking then. What was it that Moses did then? He would, God laid out to him exactly what he wanted him to do. And the Bible says, Noah did everything that God commanded. So I might conclude from that, that there appears to be a link between obeying God and being righteous. Hmm? 
It seems to me there might be a link there. But it's possible, quote unquote, to obey God and not be righteous, is it not? Well, think for a moment. When Jesus was here on earth, certainly the Pharisees thought they were obeying God. They were obeying God, but they were not righteous. They got him to be on the cross. So it's possible, I suppose, to, at least on the outward appearance, to appear you're being obedient, but on the inside, you're corrupt. So there must be something more than just doing as God asked in Noah's. There must be some other step farther than that. And I would like to suggest to you that what was really at it was that God had a relationship with Noah. Noah knew God. So yes, he was obedient. And I would like to suggest to you that the reason he was obedient is because he knew God. And that's why he did everything that God commanded in him. Because he knew and trusted in God. And so he began to build this ark, as God had instructed. Pulling all the wood and everything together, while people ridiculed. Now the science of the day, which is important to know, the science of the day said there is no possibility there ever could be a flood. It's just scientifically impossible. It is scientifically impossible to get all those animals into that ark. It could not happen according to the science of the day. And Noah preached and he heard all about this. He heard them talking about it. He heard them laughing at him. They heard him arguing with him as he was building. Why are you wasting everybody's time, money, and efforts to build an ark? I understand there's an ark that has been built up in... Uh, somewhere up north. Have you, have you been, seen it? Kentucky. In Kentucky. Thank you. Yes. I understand it was a 1.5 million or some kind of project like that uh, to go up and take a look at that. That would be something to see. Um, but this one, the first one, why would you build an ark? There's no need of a ship. There's no need of a boat. Absolutely none. Okay, so my mother used to ask me this question. Who was the oldest man that ever lived, but died before his father? Who was the oldest man that ever lived, but died before his father? You got that in your mind? Got that who that is? And I, as a kid, go, that's impossible. You can't live outlive your dad. Oldest man that ever lived, but died before his father. Of course, that would be Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived, But he died before his father because his father was Enoch and God took him. Remember that? Okay. So you get that at no extra charge today. But there's something about Methuselah you should know. Methuselah's name. I gave names that had meaning. Methuselah's name in Hebrew is, when he dies, it shall come. When he dies, it shall come. That's the meaning of the name of Methuselah. I understand from Hebrew. So while Moses was preaching, Methuselah was there. And the year that Methuselah died was the year the flood came. 
So Methuselah's life was extended in grace to give people an opportunity to make a decision of what they were going to do about the pending flood. Grace was offered. And how many responded? None. Genesis 7. Let's go into the next chapter. And then the Lord said to Noah, Now go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Patriarchs and Prophets makes the comment, Noah's warnings had been rejected by the world. But his influence and example resulted in the blessings to his family. Would you catch that? His obedience and righteousness to his family went and ministered to all of them, all you fathers. You should look, take note of that. Your example to your children and to those around you. And so he, he looked at that and he said that example, the results of the blessing to his family, as a reward for his faithfulness and integrity, God saved all of the members of his family with him. What an encouragement. Parental fidelity. So true, so true. So, verse 4, seven days from now, the Lord said, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights, and I will wipe, um, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. He went into the ark. He must have been brokenhearted. Went into the ark. The Lord shut the door. Sealed it up. The angels shut the door. And they were inside, sat inside with those animals. No rain, no nothing. Must have been thinking in his mind, I wonder, have I been doing this right? When the animals showed up, it must have been something. Can you imagine that? I'm kind of stunned to see that the animals become walking out of the woods and into the forest because with God, all things are possible. And so they kept walking in there. Noah was a young man at 600 years of age when this happened. Young man, 600 years of age. Well, middle age. Middle age. And so the flood games came and the water came and, well, you can read the story of what took place. The waters that flooded the earth for 150 days flooded the earth before they started to recede, the Bible says, and then God said to Noah, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives, and bring every kind of living creature that is with you. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all of the clean animals, remember he took seven of all the clean animals, clean birds, he sacrificed a burnt offering, and the Lord smelled the pleasant the pleasing aroma. And he said in his heart, God said, never again will I curse the ground because of the humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Selfish from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And then he ends with his Hebrew poetry. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And he gave them the rainbow of promise. The rainbow. 
I will never do it again. And every time you see a rainbow, to remind you, to remind you of his promise that was given. What an incredible story. I'd like you to think for just a moment about the sanctuary that was established under God's direction with Moses. And they went out in the desert, and out in the desert they had a specific instructions on how to construct that particular building, which is really tents, as it were, made of skins. In the courtyard, and this is the courtyard that went around the outside, this is the holy and most holy place, in the courtyard outside, here every day things took place. One of them was that they would slaughter the animal to be burnt in the morning and the afternoon. They would cut and catch his blood and take the blood in before the veil, and they would sprinkle it up before the most holy place. They also would take and cut, if it was a large animal, they would cut the animal in pieces, and then they would wash it with the water that was in the laver, a bowl of water. And then they would bring it around and put it up on top of the blazing altar, and they would offer it and burn it, the sacrifice. Within that, three methods of cleansing were represented. Within that, we find that there were three distinct methods that were mentioned in the courtyard. One of them was by water. Isn't it interesting that we see the world cleansed by water, as it were, in the flood? Second method of cleansing was by blood. And we see the blood of Jesus Christ being offered to cleanse us from sin. And then, at the end of the world, our Bibles tell us the world will be cleansed again by fire. Represented all there. And those things. It's fascinating to see how the Lord showed and shared in examples all the way through. But what then shall we say? And what can we learn from Noah? What can we learn from this experience today to take home with us? Well, Jesus did not leave us alone. He answered that question when he was called by his disciples. They were leaving, and if you're going with me to the Middle East, we will go down, and you will see go down the valley and up to the Mount of Olives. And as they were going down on the way, they turned and they were showing Jesus. They were, had such proud uh, hearts for the building that had been built, King Herod's um, Temple was up there. It was white. It was magnificent from Solomon's temple, the Solomon's uh, marble mines, the white marble that was there. And so they were looking at that and doing that. Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. It'll all be knocked down. And they were shocked that that temple, which had taken many, many years to build, would be leveled. And so they, which happened in 70 AD. So they asked him, well, when will this be? How can this happen? And you know, what are the signs of your coming? And Jesus began in Matthew 24 to answer that question, and you can read it there, but I'd like for you in Matthew 24, if you would look at just a little bit at the very end. Matthew 24, we're going to look at verse 36. Matthew 24, 36. But about the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father knows when Jesus is coming. For as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. 
For in the, days of, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered into the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. Jesus said, this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What can we gather from that, from the words of Jesus, about the days of Noah and to our day? Jesus was implying to them that he was saying to them, things will appear to go on as they always have. That was the thing in in Noah's day. Yeah, we saw the ark, we heard his preaching, we saw Methuselah. But every day things continued on. We had wedding plans. We had things to do. We had parties to go to. We had events. Those kind of things. And things just continued to roll on and on and on as they always had until the floodwaters came. Jesus was making that point. Therefore, Jesus said, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Noah kept watch. He did not know. So, and therefore, what about it? What about it? I'd like to return to that thought about idolatry. In our Western culture, we do not bow down to idols. There are some parts of the world that still do. But come the age of reason, the age of enlightenment, we don't do that anymore. We don't bow down like that. We keep our eyes focused and we say, no, no, that's just a bunch of junk. We don't do that anymore. Idolatry. So what is it about idolatry in Noah's day that might apply to us today? What, what part would that have? The reason they were caught in idolatry, they became a, a people who were caught up in violence and in, and in wickedness, is because they had replaced God with other things. And so other things became more important than God. Not with Noah, but other things had crowded into their lives so much had come into their lives that other things were of such importance that God had been set off. Even to worshiping idols. But it didn't even have to go that far. It became selfish. And things focused on self and what I need and what I have. When I was a youth pastor, we had a group we were together with a bunch of young people and we were one Friday night we were having a talk together and and I was sitting in a group in a circle probably 20 20 young people (laughs) and uh, the leader handed out to each of us five flashcards and something to write with and he said to us now I want you to put on those five cards the most important thing the most things you value the most Put those five things on your card. So we were all writing and putting each, each card has a separate thing. After we all finished, he collected all the pins, and then he uh, turned and says, all right, now I'd like you to choose 
one of those that you would get rid of first. You'd keep all the other four. The other four are more important. But now get rid of one of the cards. Mm, I was thinking that's kind of tough, kind of tough. But all right. So I pitched in my card and, and others did too. And we were all talking about the card we pitched in, blah, blah, blah. And he said, all right, now take out number four. So you leave with three cards. Now, now put in your fourth card. So we were pitching in our fourth card. Now I'm kind of, things are getting kind of tough, you know, because of things you really value in your life. Well, sitting not too far from me was a young lady, about 13, 14, 15 years of age. And I was kind of watching what she was pitching in and going. And finally we got down to just holding one card in our hand, just one. And as I was holding my card and looking on it, I said, I wonder what her one card is. Just watching things that she'd given up, her family, she'd given up all kinds of things. What was it that she was I was hoping that it would say Jesus or God on it. I was hoping like that was on mine. And I would hold on to God the best. So when it came around to her, she pitched hers in, and it was her snow skis. The most valuable thing in her life before anything else was her snow skis. Her family was gone. Her brothers were gone. Everything else had been tossed in. But she held on to her snow skis. You shall have no other gods before me. Nothing else. God first. That's not easy for us to do who have lots of possessions. And things that we have to have, we feel. Not easy to do. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Because he had said. There are no other gods before you Lord. You are first. That's why Noah was righteous. It's not that he never made a mistake. It's that God was first. And because putting God first, the things of life then come and flow together. And happiness comes to you. God first. So in this new year, maybe you've made a New Year's resolution. Maybe you've made one and already broken it. But how about examining in your own heart and looking and seeing, is God first? Above everything else, if I had five cards, would he be my last card to lay down? Would he be the one that I would cherish? If you put him first, God says everything else will fall into line. Dear Lord, I thank you for this example of Noah. What a powerful, powerful story. 
there were thousands who didn't listen, refused around him. His, his evangelistic efforts to win souls to come into the ark were fruitless. Only his family and the animals that went with him. But he found favor, Lord, because he put you first. Today, I pray that we do that as well. You first. You first, in Jesus' name. Amen.